Amen. In our gospel reading for today, we have people asking questions of Jesus. What do you think about that? If you could ask Jesus one question, what might you ask him? Maybe you want to find out who actually shot JFK. Maybe you want to know the future and who will win the national championship during this college football season. Maybe your question would be a little bit more philosophical. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Or can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Questions abound. Some of our questions are meaningless. Some of our questions are silly. But if we could ask Jesus one question, some of the questions might hit pretty close to home. Jesus, will the chemotherapy cure my cancer? Jesus, is there any hope for my broken family or broken marriage? Jesus, how long will I live? What will I die from? Will I die happy and surrounded by family and friends? My friends, we have many, many questions that we would like to ask God. We need to be careful so that as we ask these questions of God, we're doing it with the right heart and we're doing it flowing from the very word of God that God has given us. In our gospel reading for today from Matthew 22, we see the Sadducees earlier and now the Pharisees that are asking questions of Jesus. We can tell by the questions that their heart is not in the right place. They're trying to set Jesus up. They're trying to get Jesus to say something against God's word, which would prove that he's not God. Or they're trying to get him to say something very unpopular, which would cause the crowds to stop following him. The Pharisees make reference of Jesus silencing the Sadducees. Just before the words in our text, the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus, trying to pin him into a corner. And they ask him a crazy question about the resurrection of the dead, something that they completely denied in their hearts, in their belief. Jesus, they said, if a man is married to a woman and then he dies and she marries his brother and he dies and she marries his brother and he dies and on and on and on seven times in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? You can see the nature of that question. Their hearts were intent on tearing Jesus down. But Jesus said, You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, 
but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. They questioned Jesus. And Jesus turned right around and flipped their question back on them. Not only upholding the resurrection, the physical resurrection of the dead, but also the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now we get to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are going to be a little bit wiser, a little bit more sly. All of the teachers of the law had their favorite rabbi, their favorite teacher, their favorite rule or regulation that they followed. And so Jesus, which law, which rule, which commandment is the most important? They set Jesus up. No matter how he answered, he was certain to alienate some of the people. We pick and choose too, don't we? We pick and choose what, what rules and regulations we like and what rules and laws and regulations we don't like. That, that commandment about, about murdering, yeah, that one's okay because I think I'm pretty safe there. But the commandment that talks about gossiping or bearing false testimony against my neighbor? No, that one, that one hits a little too close to home. I don't want that one to be my favorite. Jesus, the Pharisees asked, what about you? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus teaches us that he will have none of these kind of games, pitting one part of God's word against another. And so what does Jesus do? He quotes the Bible. He quotes the scriptures. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love God. Not a little bit, not 99%, but love him totally. Love him completely. Oh, and by the way, there's the second commandment that's just as important as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments is summed up all of the law of God. It's true, isn't it? Love God, love one another. That's the law. Why does it hurt and sting so badly? We know all about love. We are masters at love. We should all have a PhD in love because we know how to love ourselves more than anything else in the whole world. We are in love with that unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And anyone or anything that gets in the way of me loving self has to go by the wayside. My neighbor, God, Jesus speaks a harsh word, a true word, a penetrating word. The summary of the law is love. Love God and love one another. And it exposes us 
for who we are. It exposes our false idols, and it exposes how unloving we truly are in both thought and deed, no matter how much we use or claim the word. Jesus could have stopped there. He could have stopped there and let the Pharisees cook and soak in that harsh reality of the law. When people hear the law and the word of God has its effect on us, it's like a heavy burden weighing us down. Chains that are keeping us from being who we are, who we want to be. Or, one of my favorite illustrations, to hear the law of God full strength is like eating glass. And then having that glass tear you up on the inside of your body. Jesus could have left him right there. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus demonstrated love. True love. Not love of self. But love that focuses on God and our neighbor. Jesus flips the thing around and says, I've got a question for you. Uh, what about the Christ? You know, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Savior that has been promised for centuries. What about him? You learned people, you men of God, who is this Christ? Whose son is is he? Well, they answered in a very wonderful, biblical, catechetical way. Well, of course, he's the son of David. And then Jesus follows up. David calls the Christ his Lord, his God. So if the Christ is the son of David... How can the son of David also be the Lord or the God of David? Jesus, using the very word of God, confronts and confounds the teachers. They were astonished. They couldn't ask him any more questions. They were baffled. The son of God. David's son and David's Lord, the promised Savior, the promised Messiah, was standing right in front of them. Jesus, true God, begotten of the Father from all eternity, King of kings, Lord of lords, the eternal Logos, had taken on flesh and blood and made his dwelling right there and right then. He came not just to prove that he could do that wonderful miracle of the incarnation, but he came out of love. Love for God and obedience to him. Love for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. And that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Jesus Christ, David's son and David's Lord, God in the flesh manifests for us, places himself under that harsh, 
condemning law. You know, the law that condemns you and me and the whole world. It condemns us for not following God and loving him. It condemns us for not noticing or loving our neighbor. Jesus fulfills it perfectly for you and me and the life of the world. Then Jesus demonstrates what true love is as he takes our sin, the sin of the world, into himself and onto himself, bleeding and dying on an old rugged cross, the death we earned and we deserved. Jesus, our great substitute, really dies on that Friday we call good. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus, who was dead, is now alive, never to die again. And your sins died with Jesus. My friends, Jesus' love does not end there. Jesus pours out his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to you. As you hear his word, the Holy Spirit is powerful at work. To create faith in you. Faith that clings to the word of God. That believes that Jesus is who he claims to be. The Christ. The Messiah. God in the flesh. For you. He washes you clean in the waters of holy baptism. He speaks words of love into your ears as you hear the great absolution. My son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus. He feeds you with his life-giving meal, the very body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under bread and wine to sustain us in this difficult world, a world full of questions. And he gives us, he gives us his very word. His word that will remind and teach us that his love is not a fake or a phony or temporary love, but his love is real. His love is yours. His love is sealed with his holy precious blood. My friends, may this be your comfort, your joy, and the answer to all of your questions, today and always. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds and lives and questions in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.